All right, and welcome back to the Lions Guy podcast, where we take on topics in performance and personal growth by exploring success stories, lessons learned, interview expert guests, review books, and go through other resources to help us establish clarity, build courage, and lead. I'm your host, Dale Walls, founder of Lions Guide and your certified high-performance coach. And on today's episode, we have Mr. Sebastian Lavoie, uh, who is a retired Royal Canadian Mounted Police Sergeant Major, who is also the owner of a consulting company uh, called Raven Strategic Inc. And this guy's, I brought him on. He's a, he's a badass, badass as they come. And, uh, you know, he's a great guy to know. I wanted to get him on this podcast, just kind of talk through some of this stuff, uh, some of his experiences and what he's gone through. And, um, you know, he's, he's done so much, you know, he's, uh, he's a co-owner of Ascension Martial Arts. He's, he's a founder of uh, Sheepdog and Dog's Den CrossFit. He's, you know, former military infantry. Uh, he's, done 12 years, you know, full time, you know, and lower mainland district uh, emergency response response team, which is Canadian version of SWAT. Uh, he spent seven years as a team leader. Uh, he's a jujitsu black belt recently promoted. And those of you in jujitsu know that's, that's quite the accomplishment as well. Uh, he's a combative instructor, especially around designing, you know, SWAT combative, you know, for, for his team and others. Uh, he's a certified strength and conditioning coach to, to which he's, he's trained, you know, athletes from, from his garage to, to go, go from their garage to the CrossFit games. Um, you know, throughout his career, he was promoted to divisional sergeant major in British Columbia in 2019, where he served as the, you know, chief warrant officer advisory for uh, NCO for the commanding officer of the division. And, and before he uh, recently retired after 20 years in policing. So now he's on a mission to revamp the leadership model of police nationally and beyond. And, uh, and he's, he's getting after it. He's got a lot to give. He's got a lot of experience, a lot of credibility and, um, you know, really excited to have him on today. And, you know, another thing, you know, check out, you'll find it in the show notes, but um, he's featured in a, a Murph documentary and those of you guys in CrossFit know what the Murph is, but, you know, Murph, you normally do a, a set of exercises and you run up and you do them all with a, a 20 pound vest on, you know, you run a mile, you do a hundred pull-ups, I think 200 uh, push-ups and uh, 300 body squats, and then you run another mile and you do all that with a 20 pound vest. Well, Seb, goes through, he does this with a 120 pound vest on. Um, so it's a cool video. Uh, check that out. And, you know, after you listen to the podcast and, uh, yeah, he's great all around dude, really tough as nails. And, um, you know, he lives it, man. He's all about it. And he's, he's a high performer. So I wanted to get him on here and talk about that. And so, uh, if you like the sound of that and you haven't hit that subscribe button and you don't miss any other, other great guests that I have on, you know, this, uh, if you have been listening to the podcast and you're enjoying it and you please give me a review, let me know what you think's going on. And, and remember this podcast is sponsored by Lions guide. And if you've been tuning in and, and getting value from the show, you know, please support the podcast, go out to lionsguide.com, you know, subscribe for the newsletter. Um, maybe even check out our coaching offerings, uh, maybe some of the cool gears, things like that. Uh, I'm all about high performance. You know, I've, I've spent my time, you know, uh, coaching, people who are, you know, aspiring to be better versions of themselves, you know, or maybe stuck in a rut or just trying to be better than what they are and what they know they can be, you know, so a lot of good things going on there in that aspect. So you know, please go out lines guide, check that out, follow us online. Uh, links are in the show notes and all that good jazz, man. So um, find ways that you can uh, be living a life of courage, clarity, and leadership. And with that, let's jump into the show.
right, guys. Today on Alliance Guy Podcast, we've got Seb Ayavois. Ayavois, did I say it right? Lavois. Lavois, Lavois. uh, (laughs) Close enough. (laughs) (laughs) I listened to you say your name a few times to make sure I got it right today. But I got Seb on the show because, you know, you got referred to me by Ben Perry. Ben, if you're listening, man, shout out to you, buddy. Been a long time. I I believe a fellow Mountie like yourself but he, he was checking out the podcast and what I was doing. And he goes, man, you got to check out Seb. And you and I hooked up and, it, you know, I think he said he, this dude's a badass or something like that. And then I was like, okay, cool. And then we get in it. And I'm like, and I learn more about you. I'm like, oh, okay, this dude's serious badass. Okay, we, when, let's get this going. I think we jumped on and scheduled this like right away. So Seb, I'm not going to take away, you, you're going to tell your story the best, man. Introduce yourself. Tell, tell us where you come from, what you're all about. Sure, man. That's an aging badass, by the way. <laughs> you know, this when you when you wake up in the morning and sound like the Titanic, you know, you know, you're getting up there. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm Seb Lavoie. Um, I live here in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I was uh, born and raised in the Mont- Montreal region, which is um, essentially north of New York City. Uh, probably, um, I don't know, 100 miles or something north of, of uh, New York City on the Canadian side. I've been here now for as long as I've been in the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is about uh, 20 years. I am recently retired and uh, the CEO owner of Raven Strategic Inc., a consulting company now. And yeah, man, I'm, I'm, here, doing the, I'm here doing the thing. Doing the thing. And, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll say congrats, you know, recently promoted jiu-jitsu black belt, which we're going to get to, but I can't. I can't come out of the gate not saying like, man, because it's going through it, you know, just when someone gets promoted to, to black belt and all the jujitsu pr- practitioners out there, you know, it's kind of like, it, it's, un- it, it, it's hard to explain, you know, the admiration for that unless you're going through that journey. So hats off to you on that, man. Congratulations. It's a major accomplishment. Yeah. Thank you very much. I still got a bit of the, uh, the imposter syndrome, you know, that you get every time you get a brand new belt. And, uh, and I think perspective is everything when it comes to, um, to the black belt in jiu-jitsu. I mean, right now there's 13, 14-year-old blue belt world champ tearing it up, slaughtering black belts all around the world. And, 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 and we've seen like the Michael Galvan, you know, brown belt, 17-year-olds slaughtering black belts. So, I mean, to me, this was more evidently ab- about the journey than it was about the actual belt. And, um, and I'm, I'm not, you know, living in a fallacy of how good of a black belt I am, you know? Oh, man. And I, I'm glad you say that. And, uh, you know, and, and look, we're going to get on. So those of you who are not in jujitsu, number one, go give it a try. But if you're not, bear with us because it's these jujitsu conversations apply to life. That's why they talk about the jujitsu life and how impactful it is. But, you know, I'm glad you said that about the imposter syndrome because one, it's everywhere. But two, you're probably the first person I heard say that. But I feel that, too. You know, like I, I'm a purple belt now. I've been doing jujitsu for 11 years. And I feel like sometimes I go, man, I just want to go strap my blue belt back on because I feel like I'm a good blue belt now. And then I've got other guys like, hey, man, we need to stripe you up. And, you know, it's it's crazy how in your head, you know, you can get, uh, in, you know, with that imposter syndrome. It's So I mm-hmm. I honor you kind yeah. of saying that. It's good. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I think people like us have a tendency to be to be harder on ourselves. And, and that's the way it should be. I'd rather be harder on myself than than cut myself too much slack and be operating at a level that or, 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 or think that I operate at a certain level and, 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 and be, you know, wrong, uh, not be operating really at that level and having a, a, a false 
sense of confidence. And uh, and you're right. It is a, a metaphorically so applicable to life. Unless you live it, it's really, really hard to understand. But it is. It's 100% life, you know, with, 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 with its obstacles and its adversity and its post-traumatic growth and all these other things. You know, it just... It is unbelievable. Yeah. What, it, what has it done for you? What, what, what got you into jujitsu? What, what, mm-hmm. what has it done for you outside of, off the mats? Yeah. Like I, I was in martial arts since I was very, very young. So martial arts always been a part of my life and it wasn't always grappling. There was Muay Thai and Kung Fu even at some point and some more traditional martial arts, you know, and those were the years where that's what we knew, right? Post, uh, you know, UFC started in 93, you know, type deal. You know, I mean, the list of of things that martial arts brought to my life is too extensive. We could have a three hour podcast. But I mean, generally speaking, it just keeps you humble, right? It just does. It keeps you humble and it keeps you it keeps you trying to seek to get better um, and it keeps you hitting the wall and wanting to quit and, and having to push through and all the things that you experience through life and that everybody does. But it's, it's almost like builds up a, uh, an inoculation. It's like a stress inoculation, so to speak, right? Like to, to, to life's uh, problems and ordeals and how to overcome obstacles and to keep going. And, and, and when you're having a really bad day, I used to kind of shy away from the mats for a bit. You know, I, I was having a really bad day. I shied away from the mats. And eventually I got to understand that the sooner you got back on the horse, the better it was. So sometimes I could have a really horrible morning on the mats. And then in the afternoon, I had the best afternoon ever. Well, here's something. Here's a lesson to be taken out of this. If I stayed away from the mats and, and didn't get back on the horse right away, I would have been I would have missed an opportunity to get better immediately or to realize that actually what I needed to do is just to pursue and to push and to drive forward. Right. And so this uh, this applies to anything else, whether you're problem solving tactical problems or you are or you're um, you're you're out there living life and and going through cancer or any other, you know, of life's, um, you know, obstacles, really. Yes. Sorry to interrupt. It's a, it's a perseverance muscle almost, right? You're just, you're going through, uh, uh, almost an unmatched challenge absent a real life or death situation, but you're literally mano a mano squaring up with someone in the intent of virtually killing them. Let's say, let's just be mm-hmm. raw and real about it. Right. That's the tap, right. And you're, you're tapping cause you admit defeat. I'm done. You got me. And, but it's, it's taking you to the depths of our, our, our will, our perseverance, right? It's just, and it's, it's a good muscle to, to, to exercise, man. I mean, yeah, man, it takes you in, in humility. I hear a lot when I talk to people about jujitsu and they're, they're professionals, uh, podcast number three with Mike Russell, a, a brown belt that, that, that is my coach weekly. Um, you know, that's what he says that he's gotten most out of it. Just, just the humility factor, you know, it checks that ego, keeps that ego in check, man. It's, it's uh, all those things and more. Yep. No, it's, I mean, I can't say enough about it. I, uh, you know, and, and you and I could have an entire episode on this, but we, we would have lost everybody else. We'd just be the two of us speaking, but, uh, but yeah, man, I just, you know, if you haven't tried it, I mean, everybody speaks about it. And you know what happens too, is the more people speak about something, the less likely some people are to try it. It's kind of like, you know, when, when there's too much hype around a movie, people are just, people, you know, we as humans have problem with authority. Like we don't, we don't like to be told things. So if we're being told that this is the best thing ever, well, I'm not doing it then. 
you know, like I want to be. <laughs> so it's almost like there, there is a natural reaction to try to stay away for some people just try to stay away from it because they hear about it too much and they get annoyed. It's like there is a reason why you hear about it so much. And what happens when people that, act, that were formally getting annoyed actually get to the mats, they eventually say, man, I wish I started 10 years ago. Right. So I'm telling you, you've heard about it over Joe Rogan and Jocko and everybody. There is a reason why you hear about it. Go out there and hit the mats. Amazing. Right. It'll change your life. I was talking yeah. to a guy one time. It's just, he said, yeah, you know, I was walking by this jujitsu place and I, I almost went in. He was like making a joke. He's like, I almost went in and signed up. I said, you should have, man. It'll change your life. <laughs> you know, like give it a shot and stick with it, man. And that's, I guess, you know, hell with it. Let's stay on it. What? It's one of those things where blue belts, you know, that, that blue belt quit you get your blue belt and, and you see a lot of guys peel off. Like what's your message to, to that aspect of jujitsu and these guys that get promoted and, or, or maybe even just you try it and man, you're like, dude, this isn't for me. You know, what, what's, what's your thoughts on that? I think to, to a certain extent, everybody who's done it seriously as once at, at some point, had an introspection and thought that maybe this wasn't for them, whether it was a result of a bad day on the mats or it was a result of an injury or a result of having difficulty getting some processes and not having the right, you know, um, uh, neurological rewiring so that they know where they stand in space and time and all these other things. There's a lot of reasons to quit at absolutely everything. I think there's also the fact that when you're a white belt, you're looking at the next promotion. So the blue belt. So now you, you, you have something to aim for. So then you go to the blue belt, but now you're like, okay, I'm in this for three to four years now to get the purple. And this is what that instant gratification isn't. Now, what I, what I generally tell people is like, don't be looking at the end result. This is the outcome of, of getting better every day. So your purple belt is going to be you know, a direct result and a direct correlation of you getting better every day. So you want instant gratification? How about getting better every day? If that's not, if that's not instant gratification, I don't know what is. So in three weeks, you will be, you know, arguably much better than you were three weeks before. Whether or not you're having the greatest time on the mats or whatever is irrelevant. You actually have learned things. You've practiced things. You've rehearsed things. The, re the neurological, you know, process is happening and you will get better. So don't see a destination like, oh, I want this purple belt or I want this blue belt. And that's the reason. It's the mindset. The mindset is different. When you're a white belt, you're excited. You want to get a colored belt because you don't have one. So that's very appealing. It's kind of like, uh, you know, having something to strive for, like a marathon or anything you want to prepare for. And then you go for it as hard as you possibly can until you hit it. And then you're like, man, I don't know if I have another three, four years in me to go to the next thing. Well, don't focus on the thing. Focus on the journey. In the end, man, I tell you. You know, people are getting cancer. Some people are dying prematurely. People are, you know, taking their own lives. There's injuries like traumatic injuries or catastrophic injuries that prevent people from having the opportunity to be on the mat. We as humans, as healthy humans, owe it to the people that cannot do it or the people that no longer can do it to, to go out there and really, really push the envelope and, 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 and make every second count, you know. So it's all about that instant gratification is I'm getting better every day. That's my message, you know, in terms of. Yeah, you've got yeah. to. And, and, and that can serve as a, as a just general meaningfulness in your life. Right. I just want to be and I guess, you know, you see people get all tangled up in other people and what other people have and they don't have. And if you if you draw that picture of like, what's the what do you want to be? 
and just compare yourself to that every single day. And, it, and it, maybe it could just be who you were yesterday. Like if you reflect at the end of the day and say, man, I, I didn't handle the situation as well as I would have liked. And if you just do a general reflection though, but tomorrow I'm going to do better, you know, or in it just generally. And, and that's again, maybe where the jujitsu is life tie-in is like, the journey is forever. I mean, even as a black belt, like you talked about, like even as a black belt, what does it really mean? There's a blue belt out there, you know, destroying black belt, so to speak. And it, that's, that's it. It does. Who are, who are you as the opponent to that blue belt? It doesn't matter what's, what's around your waist. What do you need to be to beat that guy? Right. It does it. Right. It, that's it. And, and, and no, at the same time, He's going to be pounding. He's going to be grinding. He's going to be getting better. So the best thing you can do is just focus on you. You know, what, what, where did he catch you? What, what are they doing? You know, and, and that, that for me is like every time on the mats and, and, and when I'm best at jujitsu, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm, I'm there with the notebook. I'm sitting down going, this is where I got caught. And I, I love recording myself too, because <laughs> you, I mean, when you're doing it, but in, then you're watching yourself, you can just see, I'm like, man, get, come on, get down, put the pressure. I can just see everything I'm doing wrong, you know? And, and it's just, it's, you know, taking the time to reflect, you know, on who you are versus who you want to be, man, it just, just focus on you, man. Like focus on what, what you want to be. Yeah, man, that's the only way to go. One of the things that I really like doing is closing my eyes. You know, I close my eyes and I feel jiu-jitsu. Like, where is my body? Where is my opponent's body? You know, feel the pressure, feel, you know, control my breathing, do all. It's almost like a therapeutic to the to the point of spirituality. You know, you almost dive into this um, meditative state, you know, almost. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I find it extremely, extremely valuable. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about um, your career, the last 20 years. What, did, what were you doing? Tell us about how you got into it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I started um, at, at about, well, there's, there's quite a few things that I won't touch on because there's, there's too much, too many crumbs here to go back. Uh, but I'll start with my, uh, so I, I spent a brief time in an infantry unit three years uh, before joining uh, the, the Royal Canadian Mount Police. Now I joined the military so that I could, as a stepping stone for policing. So for me, it was always about policing, um, you know, and, and, and no offense to, to, to Canadian soldiers out here. We got great soldiers, but our, our Canadian military isn't the U S military, right? Where opportunities are endless and, 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 and you can really take your career in a, in a, you know, 8 million different directions and find something that's truly suitable for you. So for us, you know, it, it, it was uh, very difficult to have a sort of a long career at the time. Um, and, and it's still not easy, but, uh, but for me, uh, the military was a stepping stone to policing. I wanted to have sort of that grit and, um, and, you know, that, that infantry type grit where I'd been through adversity and I'd, you know, uh, completed difficult courses where we had big, uh, you know, attrition, attrition rates and we've lost a lot of people and I kept on going. So I did that. And um, never, never got to deploy, deploy overseas because I was in the dark ages. The military, Canada wasn't involved in any campaign at the time. And uh, again, unlike the U.S. military who's been involved in every single campaign, um, Canada hasn't necessarily been. Uh, we've been involved in many, but not obviously all of them. So in 2000, what is it, 2000 and in 2000, I went to, tra uh, to training for the Royal Canadian Mount Police to become a Mountie, as, as, as they call it. And um, in 2001, graduated from the training academy uh, in Regina, Saskatchewan. From there, um, I went to 
a, a spot called Tofino on the Vancouver Island. And, and, and for those that don't know uh, Vancouver Island here in British Columbia, Tofino, I would compare to Hawaii. It's, you know, it's, it's essentially Hawaii, uh, but with cold water. You know, the water, it's a Pacific Ocean, but the water is cold. It's not, it's not like, like Hawaii, but certainly in terms of, um, of tourism and in terms of, of, of hustle and bustle and, and in terms of beauty, um, it is absolutely amazing. Now, I wanted to go to a big center. I wanted to do, you know, big city policing and everything. My instructors at the academy had other plans for me. They knew what I wanted to do career-wise, and they knew that sending me to a small spot where I would have a better cross-sections and be involved in doing many more things than just, you know, running from call to call uh, would actually serve my career well. And they were absolutely correct. So I ended up in Tofino on patrol for, you know, three years. But I mean, the three years we were on call every night. So it, it was more like a condensed six years, you know, of, of, of really of patrol. Um, and, and, and out there I had an opportunity to become, you know, a use of force instructor and, and a use, you know, eventually even reviewing use of force files. And I got to train a lot, be on the range a lot, do a lot of physical training as well. So my goal was always to go to SWAT. We call it the emergency response team, but I would, you know, um, for you guys, this would be SWAT. So that was my goal since even being in the military. So it preceded my policing career even. So anyways, I had, you know, the infrastructure and the support and it, to do all the training that I needed to do in order to, to, to make myself what I needed to be to be successful. So I spent my three years there after 9-11. Um, I think seeing my military unit deploy over in Afghanistan really hit me. You know, I would have evidently I would have I would have loved to have been there with my brothers, uh, but I didn't. And um, I think part of me really wanted to contribute something. So I ended up uh, on our the equivalent of your guys's federal air marshal program, which is run by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Uh, the federal air marshal program is 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 a covert program. I mean, it's known, the existence is known, but it is covert. So I'm, I'm not getting into great details. But what I will say is, is one of the programs that was extremely well run. And, and the training was fantastic. I got to train to your guys' facility in New Jersey with um, uh, what's uh, Hooten's name there from Delta Force. Um, uh, his name escapes me. Remember uh, Black Hawk Down there? Oh, yeah. Right. Norm. Norm Hooten. So I got to train, you know, I got to train with, with Norm on the range a little bit and, and with, the, with, the, with the Federal Air Marshals and, and, um, and do some scenario-based training there. And then we, of course, had our facility built in Canada and we ended up taking over our own program, which we uh, since been administrating. But um, so anyways, I went through my Air Marshal. I spent four years on the, on the, on the section, traveling the world, training everywhere I went whether it was, you know, hitting regular gyms or CrossFit gyms or jiu-jitsu gyms or whatever the case may be, uh, it, you know, I took this show on the road, you know, with the goal of pursuing this SWAT um, dream that I had. Um, and, um, and, and that worked out great for me. In 2006, I actually went for selection for the uh, uh, full-time Lower Mainland Emergency Response Team, which is a team based out of Vancouver, excuse me, it's actually based, excuse me, it's actually based out of Surrey, but it's close, close enough. It's 15 minutes away from Vancouver. And, and, and it is uh, an, extreme, an, an extremely busy team that at the time just gone full time and, uh, and it had a ton of promise. So I was wanting to, 
to make that team. So I did selection, passed selection, did the extended selection phase two, passed the extended selection, went to the course, spent eight, nine, ten weeks, whatever it was, on the uh, on the basic assaulters course, and uh, and got back to the team in two thousand and seven. First five years, you know, learning, doing the thing, hitting operations, becoming a breacher, becoming a lead breacher, eventually becoming a team leader in two thousand and twelve. Uh, or element lead, I should say. Uh, but, you know, along the way, having evidently leadership tested and being held to the fire at every operations, unlike how you can progress through leadership in other organizations, right? And how and often are, are your operations? Like, how often are you? Well, we have, we have, generally, we have stuff going on daily. Really? So it's wow. either planned operation dealing with federal sections or, or arresting or you know, arresting uh, dangerous suspects or going to armed and barricaded. So we have, there's kind of two things. There's the planned operations, and then you have your, your in-progress call, so to speak. And for the first 10, year, 10 years on the team, we were actually assisting patrol with high-risk calls. So that was a great time because we would be out roving and basically selecting the call that we would go to, you know, to assist patrol, and then we would just be out there. So it kept us current in the patrol context, but it also kept us, you know, um, that symbiotic relationship with patrol versus some departments have their SWAT teams always training and these guys are on the road getting, you know, hammered with calls and it can create some dissension. And we really didn't have that. We had an, an incredibly symbiotic relationship and, um, and mutualistic, I would say, to a certain extent. And yeah, I, um, you know, I, 2012, I was promoted, um, became a team leader. Absolutely love that. That's, you know, it just it, it allowed me to take a step back and and develop people and, and lead and, um, and 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 you know really go on a strategic side and 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 it just it was a, it was great. Um, finally, in two thousand and seventeen, I became sort of the overall team leader of a team of twenty four. That was an absolute epic time in my career. Just having twenty four people you know, trusting you and having the trust of upper management as well. Cause you can all, many of us can navigate one piece, but having, having the ability to operate and, and, and having your guys wanting you to be there and having the people above you wanting you to be there. It's a really good place to be because you can actually move and shake and get some stuff done. So that was great. In 2019, uh, 2019, yeah, I was I was approached by the commanding officer of the division here. So for British Columbia, uh, we have about 8,200 members, RCMP members here in British Columbia. There's some of the uh, civilian employees. Uh, let's let's call them employees, really, and uh, and uh, and one CEO. So the CEO, uh, you know, obviously has a limited span of control, but they need they need somebody with them that can act as an advisory NCO that can say, no, ma'am, like, or sir, we can't, we can't be doing this because this is the repercussions that it will have down the line, so to speak. And, uh, and that person has to have a certain amount of operational credibility so that the membership, you know how it is, it's no different than any chief warrant officers. That's precisely what it is, is a chief warrant officer for the, for the division type deal. So I spent, uh, Two and a half years in as the divisional sergeant major, which is the chief warrant officer for the province of British Columbia, until I was set to go back to the team as a as an ops NCO. And somehow, man, something happened in my head where I just didn't want to go back on call. I didn't want like there was a 
there was a ton of things. I think I was in love with the idea of going back and wearing greens and going back with the boys and being in, in this tactical environment and, and potentially problem solve tactical dilemma, which has always been something that I really, really enjoy doing. But my job would have been different now and I wouldn't have gotten to do nearly as much of that. And I think just to going back on call and doing all these other things, I knew I would have to essentially uh, prioritize that over living, right? And there is many things I want to do. So I had choices. Um, I, I, you know, I, I find a new job to do, which I never was really interested in. I was never an investigator. I was an investigator, I mean, by way of having to do it, but I was never really inclined to wanting to do it, uh, pursue it seriously. And uh, really, there was really nothing else that I was interested in. So I uh, made the call. It was a tough call, you know, evidently, because uh, you, you take a lump sum instead of taking a pension. And, you know, there's a lot of risk involved with it. But, man, I, I lived my life 100 miles an hour. for, And I will take risk any day and go in the uncomfortable, you know, zone just to make, to, to make something happen. And, uh, and not looking back. So this position, I'm trying to understand it. Is it so you saying that you did not go back tactical? You stayed in more of a leadership position. Is that is that what you're saying? No. So at the end of my stint um, as the sergeant major, I could have stayed in that position, but I had no. It, it's a very very demanding position, and and it's also very high profile. And I, despite my social media presence, you know, I kind of like to fly under the radar more than I than I do being super high profile. And so for me, that wasn't really an option to stay there in this administrative position, so to speak. So the idea was that I was going to go back to the team. And I, there's, a, there's a team, there's a, the commander on the team now was wanting me back and he's made a case for me to go back. And I totally, you know, jumped on it immediately when the offer was there. And um, I was home and I wasn't sleeping right. And I was waking up and there were issues in my gut. Like I, I didn't know what was happening with me, but there were some psychosomatic issues that I was having. And looking in the mirror, I realized, hey, man, you don't want to go back. You don't want to go back. So if you don't want to go back, then what? You know, and that's where that's where my decision to leave and go in a private sector kind of. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's it. You got to follow your gut, man. Like if that that's key. I, I've been in these situations and it takes courage. I think a lot of times to go with your gut and uh, that's some of the bigger lessons that personally I've felt that, you know, it's like, man, these times my gut was screaming at me and I just didn't do, you know, and it, and I paid a price for it, you know? And um, so, so, so good on you for like, for that, right? Just, you know, it sounds like you, you checked your ego and like, okay, hey, you know, let's get real about this. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely terrifying. You know, there is no question when people ask me, like, weren't you concerned? I am concerned. And, and you have these, you're going through your daily activities and you're doing certain things, knowing that your paycheck is no longer coming in, all these other things. And at some point, at one point during the day, any day I will have this sinking feeling in my gut that tells me this isn't going to work. And this little voice saying this isn't going to work. And, you know, I think for me, um, I've done a great job of shutting these voices down. I mean, they are there for a reason. Humans are negatively biased. If you're if you're a cop, you're you have professionally or a military, you're you have professionally induced cynicism on top of that. So you have not only are you negatively biased as a human being, but you're also cynical. So, you know, negative voices will never cease. 
to come and 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 it's going to be up to you to shut them up right and that's what i do if when it happens every day it's like shut up you don't have a voice here you know yeah it's key and and because you know it's you're right it's it's a part of training it's it's also your our own human survival mechanisms trying to keep us in that comfort zone mm-hmm. um you know neurologically and psychologically there's just so much there and but it's awareness, right? If you understand that's how our brains are wired to keep us safe and comfortable, you know, and you've got to push through it. And, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where once your, your mind realizes like, this is how we're working now. Like when you're pushing to that next level, you're, you're pushing yourself hard and your brain starts saying, okay, it stops fighting you and starts going, okay, how do I adapt to the way that we live now? Like, how do I, you know, you know, evolve to meet the needs of what we're going through. And it's just it, similar to the jiu-jitsu thing. You just got to keep pushing through it. You know, it, it will get better. Your courage will grow. Your willpower will grow. Your your competence and confidence will grow, you know, through those difficult things that you, that you avoid and, and things like that. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, man. I, I, you know, just because it's so relevant, like I think it's worth going back. So when, when, when I was initially approached uh, to leave, the, the, the SWAT to go to the commanding officer's office. I was flattered, but I also was absolutely terrified. And, and I was like, I, I don't even know why I was approached to begin with, um, let alone what am I going to do when I get there, not knowing the job. And it took me a solid three weeks of dreaming. And I was dreaming at night and I was having nightmares that I was turning my greens in, you know, the emergency response team is dressed in green and everybody else is in uniform. And so, you know, I was, I was having these dreams where I would essentially turn my SWAT kid back, you know, and, and SWAT was so uh, an integral part of me. And I was so dedicated to it that it actually took a massive chunk out of, out of me to, to, to leave it. Right. But if I look, and if I'm being honest, it was time. It was time for me to leave. I spent 12 years on the team full time, been through thousands of, you know, thousands of operations, led some calls. There was guys up and comers that were now at the point where they were ready to take on some leadership roles. And really, they didn't need me. You know, you know, they really didn't. And I wasn't there saving the team. And, you know, I wasn't a savior. And 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 so I just I just took it. But the first three weeks in the office, in the commanding officer's office, it was so so difficult for me from an intellectual standpoint because I, I didn't do anything physical. It was all in my head. And that had been a really, really tough transition for the first three weeks. At the end of the day, at around four o'clock, I would sit on the chair and I felt like closing my eyes and plugging my ears and rock. Like I was so um, mentally overstimulated that I was exhausted. And, and you know, like you really need to really do a job where you're in your head and spending 12 hours in front of the computer to realize how much of a toll that takes on you and how difficult it can be. But, you know, eventually after two or three weeks of this complete discomfort, I started flowing. And when I started flowing, the the benefits and the gains, even from the intellectual standpoint, you know, everything helped elevated, you know, my, my writing games, my speaking games, my, my, my relationship building game, like everything elevated. I took a massive bump up, you know, in terms of my own personal development. And I, and I credit having taken that critical step in my career with having the stones to leave, 
I credit this because I've been through an exactly, you know, very, very similar uncomfortable position and, and, and did it and made the call and it was completely the right call. So I had, yeah. I had tracking history there. I had something to, you know, to draw upon. Yeah. And would you say it, it was like you, you were in a comfort zone, it, you know, for, for the emergency response, like, mm-hmm. is that a high pace environment, a, a high stress environment, high, high performer environment? Yes, yes. And yes. But you'd been there for 12 years, I think you said. So so you were in a comfort zone even in that environment. And now you're going into this leadership role in a CEO's office. And now, you know, you're at a new level in completely outside of your comfort zone. And I, I imagine talk to talk to me a few things about, you know, what what did transition? You know, what what coming from the emergency response prepared you, you know, on the other side and, and getting more into this this leadership management role, you know. I mean, I mean, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, the CEO came to get me because she'd heard of me, you know, leading the calls and doing some critical calls and and my name consistently popped up. I mean, those are things that she told me later. Um, But evidently, she brought me in because of two major reasons. A, she wanted me to bring that credible, that credibility piece with the memberships and knowing that somebody that truly has their back, that understands the reality, the realities of operational policing was going to be there as their, you know, uh, representant, so to speak. But she also knew that I had the stones to tell her when she was wrong. And, 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 and because unfortunately at those ranks, man, this is what happens, right? P- some people are, especially if you are rank driven, if people are rank driven, they will, they will literally uh, crawl under the carpet in front of these guys, right? And these guys don't want that. Some of them do, but those that do obviously are the leaders that they are. And they're not really, they're not really the, you know, the preferred leader. But if you have a good leader, generally they like to be, they like to get challenged. They like to get cha- challenged and they don't want to hear, all, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't want you to tell them all that they want to hear. They want, they want, they want you to tell them the things that they need to hear, which is completely different. And for her, she, she had an issue where, there was a lot of accommodating her. And in all fairness to all those other leaders, she was a pit bull, right? And sometimes she didn't fully understand how she came across. And she was very, very smart and very good and very intimidating. She was. She was legitimately very, very intimidating. She's this amazing woman. But the thing is, you know, sometimes her people were scared, right? Because they would get chewed or they would, you know, if they said something that, didn't make sense or, or they were afraid to make mistakes or whatever the case may be. So in bringing me in, um, you know, she had brought me in for an interview in her office about something. And I think she might've been testing the water, the waters at the time. And she was saying certain things. And she, I think she wanted my feedback and I gave her honest feedback. And she said something very interesting to me. She said, look, you, you don't seem intimidated at all here in my office. You know, like you're, it's, it's, I find that very interesting. Why is that? You know, and she asked, she asked me that. And so right then and there, I knew that a lot of people that went through her office were actually, you know, uh, intimidated by her. And this wasn't me not being, you know, trying to be a tough guy or anything like that. Like I just wasn't because I'm not, I've been leading tactical operation for 12 years, man. Like good luck, like bring me, you know, bring, bring me in and, and, and try to do that. Um, I was very respectful and, and she was very good as a leader. So I respected her, which makes it even, even more, um, compelling. Right. And so, and so, yeah, man, it's just, you know, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of the one piece where, yeah, she brought me in for the leadership aspect and she knew that the membership would, 
respect and listen to me, but also that I would be able to call her out and let her know when things when things weren't right and negoti- negotiating the two. And I've and I've done that successfully. Hi, everyone. Dale here. I want to take a quick break to invite you to join us at lionsguide.com. Have you ever struggled to show up as your best when you really needed to most? Have you ever stared at your week and you just wondered, how the heck am I going to fit all this in? Or worse, have you come to the end of your week and asked, how come you didn't get done what you wanted to? Or maybe have you ever struggled to gain influence at work or home? Or have you felt as if you are a productive person, but you really don't know where you're going or what you want? So the distractions of social media or maybe Netflix take over your day. If any of that sounds like you, I want you to know that you're not alone and invite you to visit us online at lionsguide.com and subscribe to the Lions Guide newsletter or maybe even download some of our free guides to help you on your journey. The time is now to transition to the next level in your performance and personal growth and have some joy in life. Visit lionsguide.com and subscribe today. You owe it to yourself and those most important to you to be the best version of you. Don't lose any more time. Subscribe today. I can't wait to see who you're going to become. And now back to the show. What did you learn new, you know, as far as, you know, to you, what makes that good leader, you know, that, that gets the mission accomplished, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, you know, what I did do is, is really taking a, um, a space shuttle, you know, and really shot up and getting through, you know, a, a true appreciation for the overall picture of, of what the organization was going through and some of the issues that we had. And I was, unbeknownst to me at the time, being on the teams for so long and being exposed to like, you know, highly performing and well-equipped and, you know, the list goes on and on. I was completely disconnected from the reality of our people on the ground for the most part, where leadership wasn't a thing. You know, people were getting promoted because they passed an exam and they may have not, they, they may, maybe they didn't have any, you know, you have these senior officers walking around uh, and I'm not talking about like the high, high senior officers, but I'm talking about like, you know, inspectors and superintendent kind of even staff sergeants walking around uh, that I've never really uh, led people, you know, never led people. And I mean, I don't care. I will take, you know, a corporal or I will take a, a, a senior constable that, that's been working with people for 10 years over anybody that's never led anyone. Right. So what I did realize is that the things that I took for granted while being on the team that made us so, so successful was nowhere to be seen anywhere else. And so, I, you know, I took it upon myself to kind of bring some of that message some of that message out. And I, I, I did it through a very unusual way, which was social media, podcasting, those types of things. Historically, the organization wasn't supportive of that, but I did it anyways. And, and what ended up happening is the commanding officer, the now new commanding officer, you know, kind of listened to my first two or three podcasts. And she was like, man, like, you, you know, you can do that without like setting the world on fire. And I really appreciate it. And by all means, continue doing that. So I kept being supported for that and, um, you know, navigated the defund the police movement through podcastings and other, and, and what I did do is be the voice of, of our members that didn't really have one, you know? So, so, so yeah, it's just, I, I believe that in those types of positions, you really have to make those positions yours. What are you going to do? You know, everybody's looking around, like what is management doing? What is everybody doing? What do you worry about everybody? Worry about you. What are you doing to, to impact others positively? What are you doing to make sure that your leadership is on point? What are you doing to make sure you're getting better every day and you're bringing people along with you and you're developing others, you know? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's, 
you start working on yourself, you know, and I feel that I'll say it until um, I feel differently, but the strongest leadership trait is setting the example, you know, and if you start setting your own example, it's, it's infectious. And it's, it's a bit of, you know, a bit of why you and I are here today. It's like the more of the, the right things getting said, you know, more portrayal and demonstration of the people doing the right thing. I'll say the virtuous thing, you know, it's easy to do comfortable things and, or status quo things and things like that. And, and we just need more of folks like willing to set the example because it starts to, you know, raise the expectations, you know, I mean, I mean, I guess perfectly human, we want to be, we want to compete with those around us. So it really only takes one. And, and look, this is, this is two sides of the sword, right? Like when you let people exist that are doing all the wrong things and they're, they're, they're being permitted to do that or not, they're not being terminated or they're keeping their position, you know, that, that draws other people down. And similarly, like the people doing the right things in, in influences other people to be doing more of the right things. And that just grows. And, and, and that's what we need. I mean, I, I think, you know, kudos to your management for seeing a, a positive voice. And I think, especially in, in the world we live in today, you know, when there's so much negativity, there's so much, um, yeah, I'll say, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a police officer, but it seems like there's a lot of drama, dramatizing of the, the negativity around, uh, law enforcement, um, seemingly now <laughs> internationally. I mean, I know in the States it's gotten really hot, but, but it's, it's, it's unfortunate, like, you know, now there's a stereotype amongst law, law enforcement that's a negative one instead of let's let's be real, like, you know, to your point about coming into your commander, right? Like we all put our pants on one leg at a time, right? We're all humans. We have our own responsibilities and things like that. We're all human. There's unfortunately bad humans that put on uniforms and, and they, they do the wrong things, but they don't represent you know, the, the, the whole, you know, and, and we shouldn't let that, we need to, you know, uh, let the exceptions be the exceptions, but don't forget, you know, the bigger mission, you know, the bigger culture of, of what law enforcement's there to do, you know, to serve the serve and protect the community. You know, we can't, we can't forget that. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. What, what you're referring to earlier, just going back, just I'll come back here, but just, um, you know, be an inspirational leader is what you were referring to. Inspirational leadership is what we all should aspire to, you know, and it's, and it's not just you have to have the other skills like the managerial skills and all these other things. But if you can be an inspirational leader and you are actually somebody that's truly driven and wants to be better and wants others to be better, you can bring people along and have really highly performing teams. You know, and, and it is absolutely an incredible feeling to have these people trust you with their lives. And it becomes a massive responsibility because with this type of power, you need to be extremely careful. Right. You have that recognition bias where everybody knows you and everybody trusts you. It's it becomes your job to make sure you don't infringe on that on that trust. Right. But uh, in terms of in terms of the policing, you know, I don't blame the public for for what for what the perception of policing is, because to be honest, we did a piss poor job in communicating. And if you're not communicating, people just make stuff up. You know, there's we also did a piss poor job of training police officers, period. You know, you, you, you and that's, I think, known in the in the common world that the level of training of, of, of many, many agencies and organizations um, is you know, extremely subpar to where it should be in terms of even maintenance. Uh, we're not even talking about getting better. We're talking about just like to have to hit a baseline of maintenance. And, um, and for us to, 
to send these people in highly critical roles with deadly force on their hip um, and, and, and other force options is mind-blowing. And nobody would think to do that in a military setting. You wouldn't wait, you know, you wouldn't keep um, uh, your SEAL team over over chilling on the base for six months and then send them to an operational deployment where they will need to do to make crit- uh, critical decisions and 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 solve t- tactical dilemma and do it safely and bring their people back alive. You would never dream of doing that. But somehow in policing, that's the way it is. Think about it this way. I don't care if you're in Afghanistan or Iraq. If you're in a gunfight in New York City in a closet, man, you're in battle. Like call it whatever you want, right? But it is what it is. I mean, there is no difference to the person that's actually going through this and levels of stress inoculation and all the the balls that are dropped along the way. And then the call comes in and it's hot and now it's time to go. You, you know, we haven't done a great job of front loading and 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 explaining the challenges associated with the profession. We all we also haven't done a great job of training the people to do the job. So those, there's a lot of complexity and there's a lot of additional things that we're not doing. But um, is, it, is it a matter of, um, I mean, because we talked about the emergency response and, and the American SWAT, you know, is, it, is it a matter of, with regard to this training, are you referring to, you know, the, the boots on the ground, patrolmen, they, at this point, because of the, the severity of what's on the streets, needs more training that keeps them I would say on the ready for, to be able to handle those high stress environments or situations rather. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about absolutely everything really. I mean, we're talking about effective communication. I mean, we are dealing with a generation that's texting, right? Everybody's texting. Everybody's on the phones. Nobody call each other anymore, or it's very rare anyways. Right. And when it happens, it's kind of nice, but that doesn't help you in dealing with humans, right? Like it doesn't help you in the de-esca- escalating situation. The escalation training itself is, you know, a recertification every two years. Man, no, this needs to be scenario-based training where you're having these conversations, where you're, you know, involving your mental health professional and you're learning to 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 negotiate certain things. But it's also having the stress inoculation, or 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 at the very least. Um, the stress exposure, which leads to a reduced amount of stress. If you have reduced amount of stress, you react better, evidently, because it's not affecting all your subsystems and you're not turning into an ape trying to problem solve something by banging on it. So, so you know, I mean, the whole gambit from as basic as communication presence to, you know, the utilization of deadly force or any other force options before that. And, and, and I think that if you, if, if we did a better job of consistently training and this, in my, in my head, it could look something like having a, a week of day shift, a week of night shift and a week of training, day shift, night shift training, day shift, night shift training, you know, like, and it's not perfect and not everybody it's, it just has to be done as a, organizationally, somebody needs to kind of come up, but here's where the problem is. And, and here's where uh, it gets a little bit complex those or this type of schedule and this type of training in, is expensive. And in order to do it, you would need to, you know, raise taxes and do certain things. But you can't do that if the public doesn't know what you do and where the shortcomings are and all these other things. So if you're not communicating and then you're asking for more money so that you can do this and, you know, it's just it's those are com- competing interests as far as the public is concerned because they really don't understand it. The thing is, is everybody thinks that the public are idiots and they're not like, you know, or they're not going to understand. No, actually, they will. You've never actually tried, you know, to, to, to really make a case for what it is that you're lobbying for here. And so for me, 
there's massive pieces here. We need to be much more open, you know, to the public and, and having that transparency and, and, and really communicating effectively some of the shortcomings that we have so that they already know in advance that we have shortcomings in a certain area. So if something keeps happening and we've already told them, you know, at some point somebody is going to say, okay, they've already told us this for five years. How do we fix this? Well, we need to raise taxes municipally or whatever the case may be, provincially or statewide or whatever the case may be. So, so it, it, it's a big, we're not looking at a simple restructuration of the police model here. We're looking at something big right? Because we set it up wrong. And when you set something up wrong, and then you have a, 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 an historical tracking of the same thing over and over again. And I think what ends up happening is you negotiate the majority of the calls properly. So this become, this becomes an outcome base, uh, you know, feeling of accomplishment and success. So now you're judging your success as an organization based on the outcomes that you've had. You know, you know what saves cops like 90% of the time? Luck, like period. You didn't get shot because that guy didn't shoot, you, you know, or say his gun jammed or this happened or whatever the case may be. So I, luck isn't a strategy. It isn't in the military. It isn't in, in the corporate world. It isn't in, in policing, especially not when there are dire consequences attached to whatever actions you're taking or not taking. So for me, you know, the realization that, listen, guys, We've been lucky for 20, 30 or 40 years. It's that it is not because we are competent. So that false, that false sense of confidence that you acquire over time is a, is a, is a, is a major issue, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's jump over to a bit of your, your own personal high performance, right? I mean, so one of the things that it'll be in the, the show notes for everybody, check it out. You know, you did the Murph. You've done it multiple times, but talk to me about the what is the MRF for those who don't know, and then let's jump a little bit into the the video you did, where where you took this thing, why you did it. Sure, I'm actually wearing my MRF shirt. Well, one of them, one of them today. You know, always representing. You know, MRF is a essentially a, a CrossFit workout. It was designed in a CrossFit box, um, not to lose anybody, but it was. And it essentially is a one-mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, 300 squats, and a one-mile run, wearing a 20-pound a vest, and uh, you're doing it for time, right? So as fast as you can, do it safely, essentially. In the CrossFit world, we call this workout uh, a hero wad. So it's basically a, a hero workout of the day. And, uh, and I like that about CrossFit. I mean, of course, it has military roots. And, the, and, and because of that, there is a constant flow of workouts that are performed to honor the people that have given, that have made the ultimate sacrifice in service for the country. And I mean, to me, the day that we start forgetting that um, is a very, very bad day. So having these workouts coming up all the time is just critically important. And uh, Murph is an incredible story. I mean, it's, you know, people have seen Lone Survivor. They will know the story about uh, Mike Murphy and the crew that went out on a, on a was it a killer capture mission or, or some, you know, uh, wrecky in Af- Afghanistan, yeah. Yeah, in Afghanistan in 2006. And, um, and uh, they were compromised. And as a result of the compromise, they ended up fighting for their lives. They essentially all lost their lives aside from Marcus Luttrell, who's the, excuse me, who's the lone survivor, hence the title of the movie. But it, I, I believe this one, um, you know, hit home for me so much because there was so much sacrifice 
at all levels in there. You know, 22 people lost, service people lost their lives that day, some of which were off and just loaded into chopper to, to, to go out and, and assist. But there was also an incredible story of courage and valor and all these other things tied in. Everybody demonstrated an incredible amount of it. Um, and then you have the other side, which is on the Afghani side, where, you know, the Pashtun has, you know, rescued Marcus and, 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 and all these other things, which is completely unfathomable. I think about this. You have this American service person that drops into your yard. You are going to take it upon yourself to protect them at the peril of your life. I mean, that's another incredible, you know, uh, story of, of humanity. And I think the whole stigma around military service and, you know, dagger in your mouth and, and, and be, you know, bloodlust, bloodlusting and doing all these other things. Now, evidently, Mike Murphy and his crew let these guys go for a reason, for a reason. They didn't want to kill them. They, and, and you, you can argue whatever you weren't in their boots. Right. And it's, and it would have been, if they did an incredibly horrible decision to make, and it would have been a, you know, um, potentially, career ending who knows right maybe even who knows i don't or know more. yeah we don't know we won't know but i mean for them to even not 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 have that in them really shows the 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 level of humanity and yeah it's it cost them and 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 we know that now in hindsight's 2020 but but again a demonstration of you know the human spirit at its best like in a war zone potentially in a in a in a in a fatal compromise and you know, just decided not to do it. And then on the other side, you have all these guys that once the patrol got in trouble and they knew they were fighting for their lives are loaded up in choppers and good to go. And again, drop chopper drops and get shot down and a bunch of them, you know, pass away. Uh, incredible act of valor. So I really, really always loved the humanity aspect and the humanity component of that, spe- of that specific story. And so Murph has always been a workout that I've really enjoyed doing. And when I do it, I get into a a bit of a zone where I'm focused on feeling the pain. I want to feel the pain. I want to feel it because it brings me closer to nowhere near where these guys were. Nowhere near. But it brings me a measure, a small, small, infinitesimal measure of, of the pain and the suffering and the, and the grit and the determination that it took them to complete this or to complete the mission, you know, even though it, it obviously wasn't the outcome that they, um, you know, had planned for. But, and so over the years, uh, I challenged myself all the time to make it harder, harder and harder, you know? So I started wearing, you know, a 30 pound vest and a 40 pound vest and a 70 pound vest and a 90 pound vest and eventually a 121 pound vest. But I also did other things. I did, you know, 100 muscle ups, uh, 300 squats at 135 or whatever the case may be, you know, and those were not necessarily things that were healthy, you know, from a from a from a like I wouldn't recommend one of my clients to do something like this, for instance, right in the strength conditioning world world. But for me, it was about the gut check. You know, it was about how, how much do I need to push myself so that I really, truly feel uncomfortable and I can really um, honor sort of their memory and feel alive. Cause let's face it, man, when you're in pain and when it's hard, you feel alive. When you feel pain, you feel alive. When you're, when you're not, and you're just floating through life, you're just numb. 
it's you know it's it's hard to know where you are in space and time and how you should feel and it's just it's, it's just is a completely it's a very spiritual experience and it was for me and it always has been so in 2013 i set to do the murph um with a 121 pound vest well it was set to be 120 but just so happened there was an extra pound in there <laughs> extra pound but, fabric carrying yeah not sure, not sure whose, whose fault it was but and so we filmed the documentary uh murph uh sheepdog crossfit murph a tribute to humanity and it was an amazing experience and it was extremely difficult and i'd i you know i'd taken this so seriously that I, at the end of the documentary, when I write the names on the ground, I had actually memorized all 22 of them, um, you know, because I did not want. And I said to the, the crew, I will stay here until I am done remembering and writing all 22 of those names. And so and thankfully, and it's funny because you're doing it and you're rehearsing it and everything goes according to plan. But when you run with a 121 pound vest and you're doing, you know, 100, 200, 300 with that. Um, it really affects you physiologically and your wits are not all there, you know, when the time comes and, and, and I was kind of, you know, struggling there and I, and I, and I, and I got it done, but, um, you know, the feedback from the military community in the States, um, was incredible. Like I've, we've had people visiting us, visiting the gym at the time. We've had people visiting from Australia. I've made lifelong friends and service people as a result of that. Uh, and it was just an incredible experience. Yeah, I thought it was awesome. I mean, so so run me through it. The Murph, you run a mile, you're wearing a vest. On the traditional, original Murph that most people do, they're wearing a 20-pound vest. And it's 100, 200, 300. It's 100 pull-ups, mm-hmm. 200 push-ups, 300 body squats. And then you got to run another mile to, and it's all for time. And most people do it for time. That's how they test themselves. In your case, you were incrementally adding 10 pounds until maybe it wasn't every year, but at one point, and that's what the documentary is about is you do that one mile, 100, 200, 300, and another mile with 120 pounds on you. I think in the documentary, you're weighing in at 199, you know, so it's not like you're a big, you know, 300 pound dude. So you're just strapping on 100 pounds. But I mean, it's significant, man. And, um, and, and I've done the Murph. I did the Murph this time, first time this year for the first time. Um, and I, you know, honestly, I, I really didn't know much about, I don't know. I had missed it. I, I it just hadn't crossed my path that it was a thing. And um, I heard it kind of in the distance, I'd say, but never really stopped and picked up on it. I knew it was like a CrossFit-driven thing. And uh, this year, uh, I heard it my mind anymore. If I hear something twice anymore, it's, I, I tell myself, I got to act on it. So I saw someone say they were doing the Murph and online, and then someone messaged me and they go, on Memorial Day, they're like, hey, did, did you do your Murph today? And I'm like, what's, what's a Murph? I mean, and, then, and then I go pull it up. And I'm like, shit. And I'd already got after that morning. So I had already went down. I got a basement gym. I went down and murdered it for 60 minutes. And then I got this call out, you know, and it's private. It was private message. Someone's like, did you do your Murph? I'm like, shit. I looked this thing up and I'm like, man. And I'm not going to not do it because it is Memorial Day. It's when you're going to do it. And I went and I, uh, my wife, you know, bless her freaking, she's been following me on these crazy challenges. So I go tell her, I'm like, man. I got to do this Murph thing today. I just figured out what it was. And I tell her the story. I'm like, I'm going to go do it. So, so she's like, I'll do it with you. You know? So I, I had a vest. Uh, she, she ran, get this, I'll give it to her. She ran, she carried instead of 20 pounds. She ran a mile with carrying two 10 pound dumbbells, which 
sucks, by the way, because I'm watching her run. I'm like, are you sure you want to do that? I've told her, I was like, don't worry about it. Like, you don't have a vest. Like, it's just, no, no, I'm going to carry these dumbbells. <laughs> I'm like, you're going to run a mile carrying 10 pound dumbbells, one in each arm. That's going to suck. And it did. But she did it, man. And, um, and her and I, we went out here and got after it. I, you know, the one thing not prepping for anything, like I couldn't do the pull-ups. I couldn't do a freaking hundred pull-ups. I forget now what I substituted that with, but, um, but I got, I got through, I was doing, um, you know, the rounds where you do five, 10 and 15 respectively or whatever to get through your hundred and 200. But man, it was, it was that it was a great challenge. It was a great, like great feeling to be alive and, and appreciative and that you can, you can go do that, especially, you know, what the Murph is, is honoring, you know, you know, um, you know, his workout and, and you just, you know, I, I encourage people to, to do that, man, go push yourself to try something new challenge. I mean, that's where you get this, you know, I don't know, this fulfillment of life to kind of go see what you can do. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's a great, you know, but your episode, man, and I'm watching this thing, haven't done it now. And I'm like, okay, this dude's strapping on 120 pound vest to go do this. And so did you make it through all the pull-ups as well? Like you, you got, yeah, man, that's, that's wild. That's yeah. So it took, it took, uh, it took an hour and 45 minutes to do all 600 reps yeah. um, of everything. Um, the run, the, the, the last run was the last run was, it, it was one mile and it felt like a hundred, like it literally did. I was, I was completely drained and I was really trashed. Yeah, man. You know, is this, what does it matter? You know, like what, what, what was I, what was I doing it for? And that's all I focused on. You know, I, I shut the little voices. Oh, you're hurting. You're doing this. You're doing that. It's like, everybody's hurting. Shut up. You yeah. know, and I had people, I had people with, with me, some of my, some of my coaches as well. I owned the gym at the time, which was Sheepdog CrossFit. Um, and, uh, I had some of my people, some of my coaches with me, uh, wearing some substantial load, including one of my girls wearing 60 or something, you know, like that's incredible. Yeah. Another guy uh, was wearing 70, 77. Yeah. My, like that, yeah. my business partner, Rob, uh, was, was an absolute animal, uh, just a, of workout animal, but, uh, but yeah, he's just an, an, an incredible leader in his own right. But, um, but yeah, it was really, really, it was good, man. It, it, you know, uh, would I do it again? No, n not, not now. I, you know, uh, 10 years later, almost, or, or, or at least. Eight. It, yeah. 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 But, uh, but I find something else, you know, something else to do, to be uncomfortable and to, and to remind myself that the freedom that we enjoy on the daily was, was, was brought to us by people that gave it all up. And, and, and this includes the ones that are still walking among us because the sacrifice and you're one of them. So I thank you for that evidently, but you know, like the, the sacrifices far exceeds just the ultimate sacrifice. It's, you know, being away from family, it's living with occupational stress injuries and the PTSD and all these other things. It's, it's having been and having seen and having done things that no human should ever be exposed to. It's, you know, it's going through the training and, and the hardship and putting yourself on the line and having, you know, heavy loads and carrying them in the heat and doing all these other things. The, the daily, the daily duties of, of, of service people. I mean, we cannot for the life of us ever forget that. But here's another issue that communication piece isn't great there either. Right. So people don't even know what that feels like. I almost feel like everybody should go to a small boot camp to understand Imagine what being a service person is times 10 and then send them over to, you know, a, a, a war zone to have, a, a, you know, an exposure to that. It's like humans are not built to do that. 
So you enjoying your freedom over there, you better, you know, you better, you better get in line and, and snap your heels together when these people are walking by. And I'm not calling them heroes. I'm not, you know, cause I'm not calling cops heroes. It's a job. Some of us decide to do it and we need to do it and it needs to be done. And I certainly never considered myself a hero, but I tell you, man, you know, the, the, it goes far beyond that ultimate sacrifice far beyond. Yeah, it is that I, I think people don't appreciate the reality of joining the military. So yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the call out to like go through it a little get feel it feel a little bit of this so you have some appreciation of it. Yeah, I definitely honor that. But there's also, you know, people don't realize like, especially a volunteer force, like the way I put it to people, I was like, you know, you really sacrifice your freedoms to go serve, right? Because you you sacrifice a lot of things, where you're gonna live, how you're gonna dress, what you're gonna look like, where all of the above, you sacrifice a lot, whether you deploy or not, you are, you are truly in service to your country. And I think just starting there, because that is the baseline, whether you, you're a veteran for wars or, or things like that or not, um, because that, like you said, is a totally another level, right? I mean, just I, <laughs> I didn't deploy either. I, I missed that whole window. My EAS was around 9-11, definitely would have served alongside my brother's at that time, which the worst time to go over in Afghanistan in the beginnings and things like that. So, but it, it was, it's something that, you know, even doing field exercises and going through the hardships of, you know, um, simulating, you know, living out in the field, what you, you know, just people don't understand what these service mem- members are really going through. Um, and I, I tell you, like, you know, the camaraderie, you know, the, the brotherhood that you build amongst your peers there, um, those bonds. I mean, and what really, like, if, is silly is just going to say, like, what really jerks my heartstrings, like watching movies and stuff like that, is really the psychologicals of it, right? The 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 lost comrades, the PTSD, the the psychologicals are the things that really kind of tug at me, you know, because I know they're real, you know, I know these 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 service men and women have put themselves in the spot, and and uh, it doesn't always work out. It, they, they know what they signed up for and, and to kind of go through those hardships and have to carry them, you know, and go through those uh, psychological events, man. Uh, I think those are the toughest of them all. I mean, we've been talking a little bit about getting out of your own head, but when you have some really traumatic experiences or, or loss um, and things like that, man, it's, it's just another level, another level of living. No, a hundred percent. I mean, it's very easy for us, you know, s- sort of standing here, um, speaking about you know the voices in your heads and all these other things, but when you when you have a physiological change that occurred as a result of a of a traumatic incident, um, it's a different ball game, right? And and yes, there are things to help, and there are there are treatment programs and all these other things. But man, like I'm not going to stand here and say just shut the little voice in your head because I would that would be a major disrespect, and it would be also implying that I somehow have control over my psychological in a way that a lot of our service people don't. And I would never, never state that. And that is the absolute, you know, insult um, to add insult to injuries there. We know that these people are incredibly strong by way of, you know, the resilience they showed even in their service and, and the actions they've taken of the things that they've seen. But I mean, humans have a limit. We are not built for that. We're built for survival. We are not built to take lives and be exposed to certain things. And, 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 and despite what we do, we're not actually built for that. And, uh, and it's going to have dire consequences. And, uh, and I, you know, I, my heart 
really, really goes out to those that are truly struggling on the daily with ailment that I know nothing about, you know, yeah. like just, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's something and, and it just around that one out, which is being like, don't take these guys for granted, you know, and, and I'm going to say both again, the, 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 the law enforcement, uh, the military members, like, don't take them for granted, you know, and don't let the exceptions, you know, paint the, paint the norm, you know, they've got challenges, they've got budgets, like you talked about, they, there's limitations that they're dealing with in face of some, some major challenges, you know, um, because let's be real, like our challenges that those servicemen and women on, in law enforcement and the military have signed up to go combat are real, you know, and they're, they're real big and they're dealing with limited resources in, in, in their, they're operating under a set of rules, you know, that their enemy is not, you know, and, and that's yet another challenge in itself. So, you know, you, you really I encourage anyone to just slow down, you know, thank a service member, thank a, a law enforcement officer, um, you know, don't let this media stuff, you know, get in your head and paint the wrong picture. I mean, there's a lot of good people and, and generally people are good, man. Like, you know, people are, are generally good. Um, and, and the men and women in uniform, man, they're, they're just another, you know, another level of that you know what they what they put up and, and do but yeah it's really feeding in that polarization right and i think i think if we continue if we continue down that road um there's a lot of bad things that are set to happen right we we people we if i said to you two years ago like listen in two years venice italy is going to be completely shut down there'll be nobody on the street people will be locked down in their houses you you won't be able to see family you you would have you would have you would have thought i was crazy you would have said you are crazy well, I tell you right now, if we keep if we go down that path of polarization any further and we keep on, you know, we're going to either self-destruct or we're going to self-destruct by way of having somebody up, up or, uh, you know, somebody take the opportunity of us in fighting to inject into our lives and, you know, essentially take us over, you know, and if and if people think that that's not a real thing. That is a real thing. If your country is is, is completely self-destructing and you have, you know, people around that have been watching and waiting this for the superpower to kind of like dwindle down so that they can make some certain moves. Um, and, and I know I know everybody's like, well, you know, we will handle that. But, man, we, we, we need to we need to do a better job at getting back together here. We have to get back together. Uh, and it, sounds, it sounds cliche. No, man, I mean, look, it, there's truth to united we stand divided yeah. we fall like let's just stop right there like and it's just and i tell people dude it's it, this ain't even a political show we're gonna take it there there is <laughs> there's there's 10 percent on the the far ends of the spectrum there's 10 percent far left there's 10 percent far right and technology has enabled their microphone to be so loud and I'll tell you, man, I've, I've traveled the country, I've traveled the world, I've met a lot of great people, getting to meet even more uh, in, in my current journey. And I'll tell you, man, the other 80%, we're all on the same page, man. We want life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We just want to live our lives, take care of our families, provide for those we care for. And we don't want the noise, we don't want the drama. And, and that's where people have to realize that there's there's a there's forces that are not virtuous that are causing these things. There's there's monetary gain in the media, right? Shut that shit off, man. They're 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 making these bait line bait headlines so you will click and they can raise their advertising rates. Once you know how the system works and how these sources, you know, make their money, you, you start to question what they're telling you real quick, you know. And 
And it's just it's just a matter of awareness. I, I just always want more people to be more aware that some of the agendas that are out there. And I'm not even trying to go conspiracy theorists, but but I'm gonna tell you that there's folks that are incentivizing by the the, the discord, and then for various reasons over the last two decades, there's a lot of mental issue you know going on. And and again, I feel technology has enabled that. The technology is is an accelerator. It can do a lot of good. You know, we can share information, we can grow faster, we can learn faster, um, and it, it can also accelerate the negative, you know, misinformation and, and, and all that stuff. And, and people, as a result, are, are really uh, comparing themselves to the wrong things, you know, the suicide rates up as an example, you know, all these negative things. And, and people are at a loss for them, their own meaning, themselves, and that, the second part of this formula is makes people susceptible to those agendas, right? Like, oh man, my life is shit, but let's go out and, you know, defund the police. You know, that's my new cause. I need a cause. They don't have a cause for themselves and they catch these headlines. They catch these wrong actors, I'll say, or other, you know, poorly influenced folks, you know, whether they're incentivized or not, but it's, it's unfortunately contagious. And mm-hmm. when you've got, in my opinion, uh, this, this, this mental illness, you know, fog that's gone through, you know, people without have access to it, you know, frankly, social media and all that stuff, man, they're, they're susceptible, susceptible to it. And that's why, you know, back kind of where we started, if you can focus on yourself, what's important to you and be real about that and focus on being a better version of you, fix yourself first, fix your house, fix your neighborhood, fix your community, fix your state, like start small. <laughs> you know, we got guys like going crazy, going to save the world. And they, they don't even, you know, pardon the cliche to the, the admiral, or whatever, but they don't even make their bed. They don't know how to, they don't, you know what I mean? Like they can't even get the basics done, but somehow they're going to go march and, and do this crazy stuff for, for some things that, that we need to be talking more serious about, you know, I don't know, real problems. You know, people are just like say avoid their, they use this stuff as distractions from their own problems, unfortunately, you know, technology enables that. Or hundred percent, and they lost perspective—a perspective that some of them never had in the, to begin with. So it's not that they lost it; they actually never had it. Sure, yeah. And, I, yeah. and whose job is it to gain perspective? I know that's yours. Like, don't look around for somebody to bring perspective to your life. You know, you you have to do the introspection, and you have to look around, and you have to find that perspective. And when you're looking for perspective, look below you, not above you. You know, because that's that's a critical mistake that a lot of people make. It's like, well, look at all these people that have it better than me. It's like, well, okay, man, that's great. But look at all these people that have it, that, that, that don't have it as good as you. And yeah. now it's going to bring the right kind of perspective to your life instead of the opposite, you know, instead of the opposite, obviously. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be that the next couple of years here are going to be absolutely critical. And I think what we're starting to see is we're starting to see people being fed up with the polarization and with, you know, going uh, completely the opposite direction of what we've always done. And I think the truth is always somewhere in the middle. You know, you have you have black and whiteness or shades of grays along along the way. And uh, and generally the measured approach is the right approach for, you know, almost anything. And and uh, anyways, it, it, it just I, I'm hoping, man, that things are really uh, that we're going to get people in position of leadership that will unite you know, unite us that have the ability to do it, uh, whether it's political or otherwise, man, whatever. But um, but something's got to happen for sure. Yeah, it will. I, and I think naturally it will. I mean, I think, again, I'll say most people 
just want the right thing, you know, mm -hmm. most people. And I think that the challenge has been to your point, we don't have enough of the, the, the right people speaking up, you know, and, and, and there, there's this fear because of cancel culture and all this stuff that people are afraid to speak up because that, that far left, far right, 10% will come out and just attack them. And unfortunately there's a lot of people just being silent, but you know, again, the, the, the real feeling on the street is they don't want all this noise. They just want to, they just want everyone to be happy. You know, they don't, they don't want one side or the other, you know, they know we've all got to get along, you know, and, and that's, I think is, i I'm hopeful that that's changing, you know, um, uh, and I'm hopeful people get fed up and, and again, start with yourself and, and start looking within and, and start, you know, have some gratitude, number one, for what we've got. We have, you know, in, in history of humanity, we're, we're the most wealthiest we've ever been, you know, the most capable, the most comfortable, however you want to say it. Like, you know, we've got so much to be thankful for. And do we really want to tear each other apart? you know, uh, and regress on that. I, I don't, most people don't. And I think most people are uh, accepting of other uh, views and, and things like that. I mean, um, you know, coming up fourth July, I mean, like, like those ideals are real. People still live by them and just want freedom. You know, they want their own personal sovereignty um, to, to be who they want to be and, 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 and have the opportunity to be that, you know, and I think, the opportunity is still there, you know, and we just need more people speaking up and not being afraid. And we need more people uniting in that good fight to kind of say, no, man, it doesn't need to be that way. You can be who you want to be. There's nothing holding you back. Um, and that's what the, the thing with the Murph with you, man, it's like you, your example, like I'm watching that and I'm like, you're not doing enough, dude. I'm like, you know, like you're setting a powerful example and that's, we just need more examples out there. We need more voice, voices out there who have the courage to speak up, you know, against this, this negative wave, um, you know, this, 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 this nihilism, you know, um, and, and, and cynicism and things like that. And you're out there, I know, doing a good example. Now, what are you working on now? You're, you're. Yeah. So right now through, uh, through my company, Raven Strategic Inc. here, um, what I'm doing essentially is I'm creating a course. So just to give you a little bit of a backstory, um, leadership, in, in, in policing in Canada is, is, is done a certain way. And that certain way is not really conducive to be, to create the best leaders that, that, that we could be as police officers. And, 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 and of course, um, unless you're in a, you know, in a specialty unit where this is a critical piece of advancement and that you are held to the fire every day, uh, you necessarily don't know what you don't know. And, uh, you, you know, it gets proliferated, right? And that's the proliferation is going. We, we're having all these issues. And, you know, let's, let's talk briefly about, say, the resilience issues, for example, where we have all our people, you know, like the rates of suicides are incredibly high. We have, you know, uh, people with at home suffering with occupational stress injury, PTSD, the, the, these types of things, and, uh, and psychosomatic reflections of that. And, uh, and, 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 you know, everybody focuses on the symptomology, which is the PTSD and the OSIs and how we're going to deal with that piece specifically when really the majority of those cases, the triggers were the way people were treating along the way. So everybody was prepared for the events that they went through. It wasn't the event themselves. It was the chain after, you know, being abandoned organizationally or feeling like they were uh, being abandoned by their leaders and, 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 or feeling like they were being shunned or whatever the case may be, you created massive issues. So the point I'm making is leadership is the solution to absolutely almost everything. And then it leaves a very, very small portion 
of, of things. So leadership and care of your, for your people will prevent and bring him back to work. And we did it with our guys where we sent him to operations, like critical operations where they, you know, use lethal force and did certain things, uh, you know, took the time off, took the time that they needed. In a, and we, you know, recovered them in a cooperative approach. And, uh, and when they were ready, they were back to work and, you know, and we kept on sending him back to operations, but, but they were happy. They were treated, you know, um, they were treated well. They, they, there was no administrative, like overwhelming administrative burden that was imposed upon them for no other reason than just getting a promotion paper written, you know, and, 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 and I would, I would say the culture that we state that, that we created and the culture that we maintain was conducive to be successful everywhere. And that included in, in returning to work and these other types of things. So what came very, very clear to me is that as I left the team and, and seeing that that was nowhere else to be, to be found, there was, a there was a critical void here. And that critical void is going to fix a whole bunch of other problems. So instead of going at, uh, looking at the symptomology and reverse engineering that, I'm going straight to, I know what the problem is we having, and I'm not talking just about management. I'm talking about leadership at all levels. We are police officers, you're military, you've relinquished the right of not leading. You're now a human being that is going to have to make some critical decisions, critical decisions that could potentially mean life and death for some people. And you're going to need to be a leader in your own right in order to do that. There is no cruising through those types of professions. So what I've been working on right now is a, essentially a four-hour workshop uh, called the introspective leader. And it's essentially, and it's, you know, I've delivered it for the first time two weeks ago. You know, I, I feel like I fell short a little bit. It was a pilot and, and, and I, you know, there was a lot of work to be, and there was a lot of feedbacks, very constructive feedback. And I intend to make it something that spreads like wildfire, because I think having that critical introspective look at our leadership is the key to resolving a lot of the issues that we have. Um, and, and we can do that with process as well. So it's not just leaders individually, but it's also the process. How do we, how do we train leaders, but also how do we select them and all these other things. So um, this has been a major point of focus for me. I'm also very, very passionate about combative trainings because I've been involved in obviously martial arts for so long. And I've, I've, I've been in very, uh, you know, uh, many specialized sections where uh, certain types of combatives were preferable based on the different duties. And I've now taken on revamping some of the combative programs for some of the specialized units. And so I'm doing that as well as I have a martial arts clubs called Ascension Martial Arts. And so I've been doing a lot of jujitsu teaching and, 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 uh, and, and doing the thing. I've, I do the performance coaching as well, which is more something that I was always tapped on the shoulder to do, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was funny, man. Like uh, for many, many years. And I mean, I train athletes, you know, from the garage to the CrossFit games, I've put, you know, hundreds of people through, uh, you know, special operation selection, whether, uh, uh, military or, or, or police really, I mean, uh, just operating in those high attrition, really, really difficult field and, and trying to, trying to be uncommon amongst the uncommon. And I've had, somehow, you know, an uncanny ability to, to, to help others, you know, navigate those things uh, as well. So, and, and, and perhaps provide some critical direction that can help them in their own career. So I've done what I've done with my Raven strategic is one portion of this is having people call in and we have one-on-one -on -one zoom meetings and essentially 
you know, we get to know each other and we talk about like what it is that you want and where are you going and how are you going to get there? And, and, and my approach to problem solving that I use for critical problems is incredibly uh, valuable at the strategic level as well, which evidently was the reason why the CEO came to get me in the first place. But I really have the ability to to bridge it over to the corporate world as well as the military world and the police side and all these other things. So I've had a ton of success with having you know these these one on one sessions with people and 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 really provide a sense of direction in their own lives, regardless of where they're going. And and that's something I'm not looking you know to make a ton of money doing that or anything like that. But I was doing that anyways, because my inbox on Instagram was always filled with, you know, what should I be doing or, or, you know, am I doing the right things or even, even cops that are currently in the role or, or law or military that are currently in the role that want to go to special sections or special units would, would tap into me all the time. And I spent a great deal of time doing that while negotiating my, you know, team leading and being out on calls everywhere. And I just... I just, hey man, if I'm going to do this full time, then I'm going to do this full time and commit to it. And 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 so that piece, I don't want it to go away. I want people to keep on 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 tapping me on the shoulder and and drop on some of my experiences and some of my. And sometimes it's funny because people have egos, man, and they're like, "Why would why would I call someone? Why would I call someone else? I got this, man." I tell you, it's great to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. Like, it doesn't matter. Maybe I'm not telling you anything groundbreaking, but you're bouncing stuff off of somebody else that has a different way of thinking. And that person bounces back the stuff at you. And now you're like, man, this makes so much sense. And it was in front of me the entire time, but I didn't know. So we had this critical conversation. You know, it it, it was an hour long. It cost you a hundred bucks and your career takes off. It's like, was it worth it? You know? But it's hard for humans to put their egos aside. Why would, why would I be tapping onto somebody else's shoulders? But as it turns out, it's been working great for me. You know, I'm getting my two or three meetings a day and, uh, and, and with these people and, and they're progressing really, really well. And the track record is there. Like it's just it's working. If you ask somebody that has the potential to to be an, influ- an influential, maybe a, a, a driving force into your life based on your the totality of your circumstances, you actually can move forward real quick. It's that procrastination piece that's the problem, right? Yeah, it's the, the what you describe as the power of coaching, man. And it's it is a powerful thing. And you've got the credibility, you know, you you set the example, you're you're living it, you've been there, you've done it, man. So Hats off to you. I appreciate everything you're doing, man. And uh, we'll round this out. How can people get a hold of you? What where, where can they find you online? Yeah, so I'm currently, so I, I stayed away from doing a, a website for the longest time here because I was getting so much word to mouth that I really didn't need to. But we're currently working on my Raven strategic website. So bear with me here. I'll have at least a landing page in the next couple of weeks here. But uh, for the time being, my I have two Instagram accounts. So my actual personal, and so, which, which I'm sure you'll add in the, in the comments or whatever. It'll be there. But yep. my um, principle is um, Slav, so S-L-A-V. CCMDR. So that's my personal. So Slav Commander. It's simply Sebastian Lavoie and Commander. Cobra Commander was my nickname on the team. So S L A V C C M D R. And then my second one is my work uh, or my Raven Strategic Instagram account, which is at Raven Strategic. And if there is anything sort of work related or on the on the coaching side or on the on the you know on on the, on the Raven side, by all means, send me a, a, an Instagram message there. But if you want to, you know, follow me on my personal page or whatever, then by all means, come over and do that. 
I try, I try to keep the content meaningful. Uh, you know, my, my, my days of running and gunning are behind me. So I know a lot of my running and gunning pictures are doing really well, but unfortunately I'll run out here at some point, although I do have sources, but, uh, <laughs> oh, man, but now dude, I appreciate you coming on. I'm, I'm so thankful. I've, I've met you. Thanks to Ben for, for hooking us up out there, man. But, um, dude, I'd love to have you on and talk, dive more into your performance stuff. Cause we, we, I mean, just physically, I know you got so much more to talk about your energy and, and all that stuff, man. So I'd love to have you on again, you know, and another time and dig into that stuff as well, man. Cause you're kick-ass badass dude, man. I, I appreciate you. And, uh, also in the show notes, we'll put your link to your YouTube video to check out that, you know, 120 pound vest Murph, man. Yeah. It had me fired up, man. It, and that's, just, that's it, man. We just need more guys like you out there just showing what, what can be done, man. And, and you know, just got to get out there and be willing to do it too. So, uh, Seb, man, thank you so much for being here. appreciate you. And, uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. It's good stuff. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah.